Hello, everyone. I'm Teddy, uh, one of the interns here at Crosspoint. Welcome to Midweek Fellowship. I'm going to start us out with a passage from the Old Testament, uh, which is going to be the focus of tonight's Holy Spirit message by Logan. Uh, looking forward to that. Um, so if you guys would open with me to Psalm 103. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your iniquity, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy, who satisfies you with good so that your youth is renewed like the eagle's. The Lord works righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. He made known his ways to Moses, his acts to the people of Israel. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. He will not always chide, nor will he keep his anger forever. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. I'm thankful for that. Uh, For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the rest, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. For he knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. As for man, his days are like grass, He flourishes like a flower of the field, for the wind passes over it, and it is gone. Its place knows it no more. But the steadfast love of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him, and his righteousness to children's children, to those who keep his covenant and remember to do his commandments. The Lord has established his throne in the heavens, and his kingdom rules over all. Bless the Lord. O you as angels, you mighty ones who do his word, obeying the voice of his word. Bless the Lord, all his hosts, his ministers who do his will. Bless the Lord, all his works in all places of his dominion. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Let's pray. (sighs) Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for sending your son for us and redeeming us from our sins. I thank you for, for sending your Holy Spirit to dwell within us and change us into your likeness, Father. I thank you for forgiving our iniquities and redeeming our lives from the pit and crowning us with good and steadfast love and mercy. Father, I thank you so much for all that you've done for us. I pray that Um, Tonight, as Logan comes and teaches us more about the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament, that we would be encouraged um, and just see more of who you are in your story that we all have the opportunity to be a part of. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, Good evening. Uh, It's great to be with you. Uh, uh, Brad is in California. I know that he mentioned that last week, and so he asked me to teach tonight, and, um, and so we'll be continuing our series through um, the Holy Spirit, uh, so uh, also known as pneumatology, that's, that's what uh, the theological term for it is. Um, 
Uh, Molly showed me the outline for the notes tonight, uh, my wife Molly, and she, it's four pages, uh, I realize, but don't worry, we will get out of here by 7.30, Lord willing. Um, I would rather be you know, more prepared rather than less prepared. Um, I was telling Springer earlier today uh, about uh, this, this missionary, David Livingston, uh, who was a missionary to Africa in the 1800s, and uh, part of his missionary preparation was to preach. And, um, but in terms of his preaching uh, preparation, they didn't want him to bring a manuscript up there. They simply wanted him to, uh, to memorize his sermon and then deliver it. And so uh, David Livingston uh, was in front of this congregation, and he uh, read the, the passage he was to preach from. And uh, after he read the passage and prayed, it struck him that he didn't remember his sermon. And so he, uh, he said, he goes, I'm so sorry, but... It seems that I have forgotten everything that I intended to say to you. And uh, he ran out of the sanctuary uh, in fear. And, um, and because of that, they were, you know, kind of remiss to um, uh, uh, certify him to, for missionary service. But uh, eventually they did, and he, he went on. And so, um, but I, 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 you know, I think it's better to, to have the manuscript here uh, and to, to help, me, help me and you along know where we're going and just in case you get bored, you're, you might be like, oh, well, you know, we are halfway or three-fourths through with this, so it's almost over. Um, uh, so it's like, but tonight, um, it's, it's going to be very cursory. It's going to be, um, at, you know, as Brad says, like at the 30,000-foot level, there's so much we could say about the, the Holy Spirit's work in the Old Testament and uh, the Holy Spirit um, uh, and, 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 uh, and the promises of the New Covenant and uh, the Holy Spirit in the lives of Old Testament believers, uh, but for the sake of time, uh, we will have to treat these matters in a, a somewhat superficial way, but I hope nonetheless that you will be uh, encouraged and, in, and instructed by God's Word. Um, by way of review, uh, Brad uh, last week talked about the Holy Spirit in salvation, uh, and you know he mentioned the Ordo Salutis, which is uh, Latin for the order of salvation, and he, he spoke in particular about some of the Holy Spirit's roles in salvation, in particular regeneration uh, and conversion and sanctification. Um, and uh, those are, uh, you know, uh, roles that the Holy Spirit uh, was, you know, is particularly involved in, not that he's not uninvolved in other areas. Uh, for example, uh, you know, it says in the book of Hebrews that Christ, uh, through the eternal spirit, offered himself up uh, on the cross. And so we see even the Holy Spirit uh, is role there in our uh, justification. Um, but uh, tonight I want to focus really on the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament. Um, and you notice that I've listed five principal roles of the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament. And these are things that among, uh, uh, you know, Bible scholars and teachers that are uncontroversial, things that everyone would agree with. And so I decided to begin with this rather than the controversial things, at the, which we can save toward the end. And so just in case you have any questions. Um, and so the first uh, place that we see the Holy Spirit's work in the Old Testament is in creation. And that's fitting, uh, you know, in Genesis uh, chapter 1, verse 1. Uh, I'm sure all of us uh, could, could say that verse. Um, uh, in the beginning, uh, God created the heavens and the earth. And then in verse 2, we see the Holy Spirit uh, was there. Uh, so we have it on the screen. I think it's behind me and in front of me. So uh, the earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the water. So we see the Holy Spirit was present even there in creation. Um, and, uh, and then, uh, another, uh, passage, uh, uh, is, uh, Job chapter 26, verse 13. I don't know if that's actually on the, the notes, but I can turn there and I can read it to you. And, uh, the reason this is, uh, important is because, um, 
uh, I'll explain why it's important in a moment. Uh, so uh, Job 26, uh, verse 13, is this. Uh, it says, By his wind the heavens were made fair. By his hand, uh, his hand pierced the fleeing serpent. Um, so he said that, that the first uh, three words, by his uh, wind. So that in, in Hebrew is just all um, uh, one word. Okay, so, and the reason that this, this is significant is because this, like in Hebrew and the same way in Greek, is that uh, the word for spirit, it can also be translated as wind or breath. And so, you know, we see here in, in Job, it says that, you know, by his wind, so God's wind, which, you know, is the same word, you know, by his spirit, you know, so it's, it's similar ideas, even though it doesn't necessarily say God's spirit, but it's, it's God's wind, the heavens were made fair. And we, we know, like in, in Psalm 104 or in Psalm 33, 6, these are uh, places in the Old Testament that talk about the Spirit's work in creation. So I'll turn to Psalm 33, 6 real quick and read that to you. Um, it says this. It says, By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made, and by the breath of his mouth, all their hosts. Okay, so it's just talking about like, God's... Uh, uh, power, like when he, he speaks and it comes forth, you know, it says in Psalm 147, he speaks and it uh, comes forth, he commands and it, it stands uh, upright, you know, so uh, God's word is powerful and he, he does this by his word uh, uh, and th- through his spirit, so the spirit is involved in creation. Uh, John Calvin, uh, you know, the famous uh, French reformer, said this about the Holy Spirit's role uh, in creation in the Old Testament, he said, it is the spirit who everywhere diffused, sustains all things, causes them to grow and quickens them in heaven and earth. Um, so that's there. And there's some other verses we can read, but for the sake of time, we'll move on. Uh, so the second uh, place we see the Holy Spirit's work in the Old Testament is for empowerment for a particular service, or in other words, empowerment for ministry. Uh, and this really falls into uh, several different categories. There's political leadership, religious leadership. Uh, when they built the tabernacle in the temple, uh, and we see this a lot in the book of Judges. And those are the four categories of, of, of ministry or um, of service in the Old Testament. We see this uh, first, uh, the mention of the Spirit in terms of ministry in the Old Testament, in the book of Genesis with, with uh, Joseph. And it's actually a pagan who, who mentions the Holy Spirit's work in a, a believer. And so Pharaoh, uh, in uh, Genesis chapter 41, remarks on Joseph's ability. He's, he, he says that in him, uh, that the Spirit of uh, God. He said, like, can we find a man like this in whom is the Spirit of God? And you'll recall, like, at, at Pharaoh's court, there were these uh, very wise men. Now, he had these people at his disposal, but he recognized their futility. He recognized that these people ultimately paled in comparison to the, the wisdom that was in Joseph. And, it, and the, the wisdom that was in Joseph wasn't an inherent wisdom that he possessed uh, by virtue of his own, uh, you know, study, uh, studiousness or anything like of that nature, but it was a wisdom that God imparted to him. And so he recognized that it was God work in him. Uh, I want to spend some time really looking, though, at Genesis chapter, or not Genesis, Numbers chapter 11, because we can cover uh, two and one here. We can talk about Moses. Uh, then we can also talk about the elders, uh, the, the 70 elders in Israel. And then we can also uh, see like hints of uh, the future of the Spirit's work among all God's people. So let's turn to Numbers 11, and we'll begin in verse 17. Uh, and seeing the, uh, the, the Spirit's uh, work there. So Numbers 11, uh, 17, it says this, or I'll begin in verse 16, I'm sorry. Uh, it says this, Then the Lord said to Moses, Gather for me 70 men of the elders of Israel, whom you know to be elders of the people, 
and officers over them and bring them to the tent of meeting and I will and let them take their stand there with you in the verse 17 and I will come down and talk with you there and I will take some of the spirit that is on you and put it on them and they shall bear the burden of the people with you so that you may not bear it yourself alone so before this uh, Moses was lamenting this difficult role that God had given him to uh, to uh, be in charge of all the people of Israel. So at this time, there were perhaps two million people, and, and Moses bore the responsibility of overseeing all two million of these people uh, by himself, um, which it was undoubtedly very stressful. Um, I, I, you know, I'm sure if, if you're a parent and uh, you have, you know, maybe three kids, you know, it can be very difficult to, to oversee just these three kids. Now, can you imagine, you know, two million people that you're responsible for uh, politically, you know, religiously, um, uh, and so, and then there's sin that you need to deal with, these cases that are brought to him for adjudication, and so you can imagine it's very stressful for him, and so, um, and he, he says, God, if you love me, let me die. Is that stressful? I don't know if you've ever been that stressed out, but Moses was that stressed out here in Numbers 11, <laughs> and so he, he, he wanted to die rather than deal with all two million of these uh, stubborn, stick, stiff-necked people, uh, <laughs> But here um, is that. And so well, then we'll skip down to verse 24. Okay, so Moses went out and told the people the words of the Lord. And he gathered 70 men of the elders of the people and placed them around the tent. Then the Lord came down in the cloud and spoke to him and took some of the spirit that was on him and put it on the 70 elders. And as soon as the spirit rested on them, they prophesied. But they did not continue doing it. So you'll recall um, in Acts chapter 2, the day of Pentecost, that the people, when they re- received the, the gift of the Holy Spirit, they began uh, speaking in tongues or you know, prophesying. Uh, and so it's, this is kind of like we see this at certain points in redemptive his- history, you know, notably like in the book of Acts. We see that a couple times, like uh, in Pentecost. And then uh, when the gospel goes to the, the, the Samaritans, then when the gospel goes to the, the Gentiles. And it might also be in Acts 19 when... Um, uh, the, these Ephesian Christians who are baptized by Paul, they, they, they had never heard of the Holy Spirit. So it might be there as well, but I'm not certain. But anyway, we see this at certain points in redemptive history that, you know, people receive the Holy Spirit, and, and the sort of the visible manifestation of that is that they begin speaking in tongues. That, 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 that doesn't mean that that is um, sort of like the standard that we're, by, we, by which we judge whether or not a person has the Holy Spirit today, but it's simply the way that it was illustrated uh, throughout the Scriptures. Uh, and then uh, beginning in, again in verse 26. But now the two men remained in the camp, one named Eldad and the other named Medad, the spi- and the spirit rested on them. They were among those registered, but they had not gone out to the tent, so they prophesied in the camp. And a young man ran and told Moses, Eldad and Medad are prophesying in the camp. And Joshua, the son of Nun, the assistant of Moses from his youth said, My Lord Moses, stop them. But Moses said to him, Are you jealous for my sake? Would that all the Lord's people were prophets, the, that the Lord would put his spirit on them. And Moses and the elders of Israel returned to the camp. So there's two things here. Now, the, the first is that even though that, you know, Eldad and Medad weren't uh, with all the other 60 elders, they still uh, prophesied when they received the Holy Spirit. And the second thing is this, is that, um, that at this point, it seems that not all of God's people had the Spirit on them, okay? Because it, it, if they did, you know, why? There's two things, okay? If, they, they, if all the people had the Spirit on them, why did... God say that he would take some of the spirit that was on Moses and put it on these 70 elders. And then, secondly, why did uh, Moses, uh, you know, exclaim that, oh, that all of God's people had the spirit on them? Okay, so it's, it's as if Moses recognized at this point, you know, that not all pe- of God's people had the spirit on them. And, um, but we'll talk about, you know, this, 
uh, in more detail later on. But at this point, just suffice it to say that uh, it seems that not all God's people had the Spirit. Uh, okay, so uh, so Joshua is a, a, the next figure, and uh, we won't uh, read uh, all the text for that. But in Joshua twenty-seven, or uh, Joshua numbers in Numbers chapter twenty-seven, verse eighteen, and in Deuteronomy thirty-four nine, Joshua is said to be you know a man who has the Holy Spirit. Uh, we see this again uh, uh, with Saul in First Samuel chapter ten. Um, but Saul has the Holy Spirit taken from him because you recall that in First Samuel 15, he sacrificed before Samuel arrived and he took some of the spoils of war for himself. You know, Samuel showed up and was like, what is, what is that I hear? You know, like, why are those sheep bleeding? Uh, uh, you know, shouldn't they be dead? And, and Saul's like, well, you know, I thought that, you know, these are really good sheep, you know. It, it wouldn't be, you know, wise to, to waste these good sheep on a sacrifice. We, we, I thought it would be nice to keep, you know, some of them, uh, you know, for, for our own sake. But because of these sins, you know, the Holy Spirit is taken from him. And, uh, and then it says, like, from that point, uh, that this evil spirit from the Lord begins to afflict him. And this, you know, kind of provides some background for why David would pray in Psalm 51, verse 11, like, Oh, Lord, don't take your Holy Spirit from me. Because he witnessed firsthand the effects of the Holy Spirit being taken from someone, um, you know, namely Saul. And he saw like, just the, 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 the damage, the emotional toll that it took on him because the Holy Spirit was uh, taken from him. Uh, we see that the Holy Spirit in 1 Samuel 16, verses 13 to 14, uh, began to rest on David um, uh, from the time that it left uh, Saul. It began to rest on David. But it, it's not until the end of 1 Samuel that David's uh, kingdom is established, uh, really the beginning of 2 Samuel. At the very end of 1 Samuel, Saul uh, commits suicide in battle. But Saul is, you know, even though David is anointed king, Saul is, uh, ha- was attempting to kill him throughout the, the, the story of 1 Samuel. And um, even though David had opportunities to kill him, he didn't retaliate or uh, to seek to kill him. Uh, but Saul, uh, you know, was attempting to kill David because he w- was jealous of, of God's work in his life rather than his. And lastly, we see this with Daniel. In Daniel chapter 4, verse 8, uh, uh, he, uh, he says uh, something very similar about Daniel, the, the king of Babylon. He says, you know, at last Daniel came in before me, whose name is Belteshazzar, named after after the name of my God, uh, so, you know, his name is Daniel, and then, like, uh, you know, maybe it's like a Babylonian name or something, Belteshazzar, and in whom is the spirit of the holy gods, and I told him in the dream, saying, okay, so we're not, but that, that, that expression, the spirit of the holy gods, maybe if you look at uh, your Bible, you might have a footnote, or, you know, like a, you know, the, the number one, a, a superscript, and so then there's some text underneath at the bottom of your page, there's a footnote, and it may, might say, like, the spirit of the holy god, um, and so that, you know, maybe like what is really going on is like that, that he recognizes that Daniel has uh, the Holy Spirit in him, giving him wisdom in the same way that God um, had given Joseph wisdom. And so there is these two uh, believing men who are living in pagan kingdoms and God is using them to further his name. Um, so the second category here of, of the Holy Spirit's empowerment for a particular service is religious leadership. And um, we see uh, this with the prophets. Uh, we even, uh, so there's a couple verses like Second Chronicles 15, 1, or Second uh, Chronicles chapter 20, 14, 24, 20. I'm sorry that I'm not able to, to read all these, but just for the sake of time, like it, it's, just, I don't, it's not going to happen, unfortunately. But I'll try to read some of the more significant texts. Um, but, and also we see uh, Balaam. Uh, so Balaam was this, a false prophet who uh, was hired to you know, pronounce a curse on the people of Israel. But it says in, in Numbers chapter 24, verse 2, that, uh, the, the Holy Spirit came on him, and he prophesied. 
Uh, and this is, you know, you're like, well, how, wait a minute. Why is this unbelieving man prophesying when the Holy Spirit comes on him? And uh, that, that's a good question. Um, but uh, we also see uh, this, the same type of activity in uh, 1 Samuel when Saul uh, begins to prophesy a, a, as well. So I think maybe like in 1 Samuel 19 or something like that, uh, you know, Saul is uh, attempting to kill David. And like the Holy Spirit comes on Saul and, it's a, and, and it makes Saul look very foolish. You know, he is, is naked and he's just like prophesying uh, among all these, uh, these, uh, these men. Um, but I, I think like what is going on here is this, is that you just see like the, the Spirit overruling the, these people's uh, wickedness. And so, uh, you know, Balaam is, is, is uh, tasked with the responsibility of cursing the people of Israel. But God's Spirit works in him to turn those curses into a blessing. And so uh, the next example uh, is Elijah and Elisha in Second Kings chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. You know, Elisha, before Elijah dies, he, he asked that a double measure or a double portion of the spirit of Elijah would rest on him. And so he's not asking for uh, Elijah himself spirit, but he's asking for the spirit of God that was on Elijah to reside on him in an even more significant way. Uh, we see this in Ezekiel. And this, uh, uh, I just listed one, Ezekiel chapter 2, verse 2. Um, uh, it's, and it said, as he spoke to me, the spirit entered into me and set me on my feet. And I heard him speaking to me. And so these uh, expressions uh, occur frequently throughout the book of Ezekiel. We see like that he, uh, Ezekiel will say something along the lines like the spirit carried me. The spirit picked me up. The spirit entered into me. And these cover, uh, occur many, many times in the book of Ezekiel. And it's similar to the, uh, some of the expressions you might find in the book of Kings. Uh, so, for example, in 1 Kings chapter 18, it talks about how um, the, the spirit carried Elijah to a, a different mountain. Or um, in 2 Kings chapter 2, um, uh, when Elijah is dead, some of the prophets come to Elijah and say, oh, well, my Lord, you know, but perhaps but the Spirit has carried him to a, a faraway mountain. So like, these are expressions that are kind of, kind of similar to the ones that you see in Ezekiel. Um, and then lastly, we see this in, in the book of Micah, chapter 3, verse 8. And I'll read this one because this is really important. I think it, you, know, uh, you see this too in Ezekiel, but it shows that the role of the Holy Spirit in the prophetic ministry of the Old Testament. And this is what Micah says. He says, but as for me, I am filled with power, with the spirit of the Lord, and with justice and might to declare to Jacob his transgressions and to Israel his sin. And so like the Holy Spirit uh, enabled Micah to speak boldly to uh, the people of Israel to address their sins in a, in a meaningful and direct uh, and confrontational way. Um, and we see that, you know, in Second Chronicles, for example, in chapter 15, where Azariah comes and speaks to Asa. Um, and so uh, those are some examples uh, we see this again, uh, the Holy Spirit's work uh, for uh, empowerment in the building of the, the tabernacle. Uh, in Exodus 28, uh, this guy named Bezalel is empowered by the Holy Spirit with wisdom and great skill to construct the tabernacle. And we see the Holy Spirit also works in people uh, in uh, the, the, the construction of the temple later on, a couple hundred years later, uh, when Solomon uh, uh, begins building the temple. And then lastly, in the book of Judges, we see the Holy Spirit is said to rush on people. And perhaps most notably, you might think about, uh, you know, Samson, like when the Holy Spirit rushed on him and he uh, destroyed many enemies or he ripped a lion in two, which is pretty, a pretty cool thing, a very masculine thing to do. Um, you know, because a lot of people, they hunt with guns or bows and arrows, but, you know, Samson, you know, hunts with his two hands. And so uh, and he ripped a lion up. And so... Um, but it's interesting, though. There's one interesting thing about the Holy Spirit in the book of Judges. And is this. And you'll recall that Deborah it, uh, was a judge. And she was like the only female judge. But the Holy Spirit isn't said to have come upon Deborah. 
Okay, and so that's, it's, it comes on, the Holy Spirit is said to have rushed on different male judges, but never Deborah. And I think this is, you know, um, is, is really amazing uh, in light of, you know, prophecies that we'll look at later, uh, of the New Covenant, where the Holy Spirit is said to, uh, to, to come upon all men and women. Uh, you know, it says like my male servants and my, uh, my female servants, you know, the rich and the poor, like the wise and the foolish. There's no distinction now in Christ upon whom the Holy Spirit resides. And if you are in Christ, the Holy Spirit resides in you. And that is amazing that somebody like, who was of the, statue, uh, uh, the stature of, of, of a leader or a judge in Israel did not have the Holy Spirit residing in her. Uh, but now if you are in Christ, no matter if you are the, the lowliest of all believers, uh, you have the Holy Spirit residing in you. And, that, and that's, that's just, just wonderful to, to, to see. Uh, next, we, we see the Holy Spirit's, uh, and this is the third uh, principal role of the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament. It's the Holy Spirit in the creation of Scripture. Um, in Second Samuel chapter 23, uh, verse 2, David talks about how he, um, he says, The Spirit of the Lord speaks by me. Um, we see similar expressions to this in the New Testament. So, for example, in Mark chapter 12, verse 36, it says, uh, David, you know, speaking by the Holy Spirit. Or in Acts chapter 1, verse 16, we see another expression like this, like, you know, David uh, speaking, um, you know, by the, the, the Holy Spirit beforehand. Um, and then in First Peter chapter 1, verse 10, we see the Holy Spirit's role in, in Scripture uh, about how um, these prophets searched and acquired carefully, inquiring uh, what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he uh, predicted the, the, the sufferings of Christ. Um, we see this in Second Peter chapter 1, uh, verses 20 and 21, where, uh, you know, Peter talks about how like, no prophecy, you know, comes from any man, but, you know, men uh, wrote Scripture as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Uh, and then in Second Timothy chapter 3, verse 16, it says that all Scripture is breathed out by God. All Scripture is breathed out by God. And in the context, we know, like, you know, from Second Timothy chapter 3, verse 15, where, you know, P, uh, where Paul is talking to Timothy, and he's encouraging Timothy because Timothy uh, uh, was acquainted, it says, with the, the sacred writings from his youth. And what are these sacred writings? They're none other than the, the, the Old Testament. And so the, these Old Testament Scriptures were, were God-breathed. You know, and so uh, that, that is the Holy Spirit's work and the creation of Scripture. We also see that the Holy Spirit uh, warns and teaches. Um, so, for example, we see this at the, in the beginning uh, in the book of Genesis, chapter 6, where uh, God says that my spirit will not always strive with men. You'll recall that, you know, that uh, at this point, before the flood, that uh, it says that every uh, intention and thought of a man's heart was evil continually. Um, in the book of Nehemiah, chapter 9, verse 20, this is a very encouraging chapter. If, I don't know, if you have time, maybe this evening or sometime this week, uh, I think you'd be really encouraged to read Nehemiah chapter 9. And the reason it's so encouraging to me is because they recount God's dealings with the people of Israel up until that point. And it's just amazing to see the mercy of God on display because you, you read about the people's unfaithless uh, or their faithlessness. We read about their, their stubbornness and their sin and their rebellion. And we see that despite all this, that God is, is, is merciful to his people, that he forgives their sins, that he welcomes them back. He brings them back from exile. Um, and so it, it's amazing. That's where Nehemiah is, you know, uh, is written after the exile. And so they're recounting God's goodness to them. But in, in Nehemiah chapter 9, uh, verse 20, it says this, you gave your good spirit to instruct them and did not withhold your manna from their mouth. And gave them water for their thirst. Um, and then in verse 30, it says this. Um, in verse 30. Many years you bore with them and warned them by your spirit through your prophets. Yet they would not give ear. 
Therefore, you gave them to the hand of the peoples of the lands. So those are like two examples. There's others I could uh, mention, but just for the sake of time, we'll just kind of leave it at that. Um, and then there's also uh, the fifth way that the Holy Spirit worked in the Old Testament principally. Um, and this is more of a prophetic way, but it's, it's the way that the Holy Spirit, um, in, I, I, I labeled it the Holy Spirit in the prophecy of Christ, but, or Holy Spirit in the future messianic work, uh, or Holy Spirit in the end times. Um, and we see, like, you know, in Isaiah uh, chapter 11, like, the Holy Spirit is going to dwell and rest on the Messiah. And you'll, you'll recall that, you know, like in Matthew 3 or some of the other baptism accounts of, of Jesus, like when the Holy Spirit comes in the form of a dove and rests upon Jesus. Um, and then in Acts chapter 10, verse 38, there's a, a very uh, uh, beautiful expression about Christ's ministry on earth. I'll read it to you. Um, it says this. It says that uh, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. So Jesus uh, in his... Uh, and his humanity had to be empowered by the Holy Spirit for his work of redemption. So Jesus was, you know, fully God and fully man. This is a hypostatic union. So, you know, uh, fully God and fully man and, and one person. So two natures, one person. You can't divide them and, and separate them. But um, as Jesus was truly a man, um, he had to be empowered by the Holy Spirit for this work of ministry. And we see this in the book of Isaiah. So Isaiah chapter 11, uh, Isaiah 42, and Isaiah 61 um, uh, where are, uh, those are passages that, that deal with this issue. Uh, but just for the sake of time, unfortunately, we won't read them. Now we want to turn to a different um, thing, uh, something that's a bit more controversial. Uh, so the first part of this was, I think, pretty straightforward. Nobody really disagrees with this from, uh, from what I understand. But this next part is where, uh, you know, the controversy lies. And so, um, but this issue is more of like what the pastors call a secondary issue. So if you have a differing view on this issue, uh, it's, it's not like they, we would break communion you know, or break fellowship over this. You know, it's not like uh, denying the Trinity or denying the, the, the penal substitutionary death of Christ or something along those lines or denying the Trinity. But it's just, and this issue is this. It's how did the Holy Spirit relate to Old Testament believers? Okay, and so, and uh, th- there's two broad categories of thought on this. There's really six different perspectives on this, but for, but, you know, for the sake of simplicity, there's two main categories that we'll, we'll deal with. And the first is this, is this, is that Old Testament believers experience the Holy Spirit in the same way that Christians experience the Holy Spirit today. So there's really, they see more continuity uh, between uh, the Old and New Testaments than discontinuity. There's more similarity than dissimilarity. The Holy Spirit worked in, you know, the same way. So we are indwelt by the Holy Spirit now because we're in Christ. In the same way, uh, uh, Old Testament uh, Christ, uh, believers were similarly indwelt by the Holy Spirit. So some proponents of this view are John Owen, uh, the famous uh, Puritan, B.B. Uh, Warfield, who was a professor at Princeton Theological Seminary in the late 1800s and early 1900s, uh, Sinclair Ferguson, who's, uh, you know, he's still alive, and he's a Presbyterian uh, pastor and theologian, and then Daniel Fuller, who uh, I believe has since died, uh, in a, a several decades, but he is, um, he, he was John uh, Piper's professor uh, at Fuller Theological Seminary, so he had a, a really profound impact on John Piper, so that's kind of why I listed his name on here as well, and here's a quote uh, by Walter Kaiser Jr., so Walter Kaiser, he um, was, uh, he's an Old Testament scholar, he's still alive, at one point he was uh, president of Gordon-Conwell Theological Seminary in Boston, uh, Massachusetts, and uh, here's what he says on the, the relationship between uh, the Old Testament uh, 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 believers and the Holy Spirit. He says this, we conclude then that the Holy Spirit did indwell Old Testament believers, 
The promise of the Spirit that was new was their incorporation into the universal church, the body of Christ. There was also the promise of the New Testament revelation that was coming as the Spirit of truth called to mind all the Lord had taught the eleven during those years when they walked and talked with him. The Father would take what was his, his doctrine, and he would show them things to come. These would be the new works that the Holy Spirit would perform, but as he had regenerated and indwelt in the past, so he would continue to do in the New Testament times. Okay, so you see that um, Walter Kaiser is certainly advocating that the Holy Spirit worked in much the same way as he does today. And now the, the second view is this, is that Old Testament believers were regenerated by the Holy Spirit, but not indwelt. In other words, these, this particular camp sees more discontinuity between the, testam- the, the two Testaments. They see more dissimilarity. They think the Spirit's work in the New Testament is, is, is distinct from um, the work of the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament. And some proponents of this view are J.I. Packer, who is a British theologian who taught for many years at a Regent uh, 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 Seminary in Canada. Uh, Bruce Ware, who's a professor of systematic theology at Southern Baptist Theological Seminary. Jim Hamilton, who's a professor of uh, of biblical studies and New and Old Testament at Southern Baptist Theological Seminary. And Millard Erickson, who is a Baptist theologian. He's still alive, and he uh, wrote, uh, he's written many things, but perhaps like his most well-known work is uh, Christian theology, which is a systematic theology. Um, And this quote comes from Jim Hamilton. Uh, Jim Hamilton uh, wrote his doctoral uh, dissertation on this, uh, whether or not Old Testament believers were uh, regen- uh, indwelt by the Holy Spirit. And so this comes from uh, his book, uh, God's Indwelling Presence, uh, which is, is published by uh, B&H, Broadman and Holman Publishing. It's uh, uh, the, the publishing arm of the Southern Baptist Convention. Uh, so you can find this book uh, pretty cheaply. Uh, sometimes it goes on sale on Kindle for like two ninety nine or something like that. Uh, so you, if you want to read it, you can find it there. And he also has some articles online readily accessible as well. So the quote that I read by Walter Kaiser, it's, it's an article that was um, available online. Or same thing with uh, there's some of Jim Hamilton. He's published some articles as well. So if you want you know, those, that bibliographic information, I'd be happy to provide that for you at the end of it. Uh, but here's a quote from uh, Jim Hamilton. He says this, It will be argued here that prior to Jesus' glorification, God sanctified believers by his presence with them rather than in them. Often the Old Testament describes God as with select persons. God declared to his Old Covenant people, I am Yahweh who sanctifies you. God made his people holy as he indwelt the tabernacle and later the temple, and thereby he remained near his people on an individual and corporate level. After Jesus' glorification, in keeping with the, with the coming of that day, God brought about the new birth in obedience by regenerating individuals and indwelling them by his Spirit. So regeneration and indwelling remain distinct works of the Spirit, but they are simultaneously received by all who believe. So Jim Hamilton, like his, his thesis is this, is that there's a difference between the regeneration of the Holy Spirit and the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. So Hamilton says that in the Old Testament, believers were regenerated by the Holy Spirit, but they weren't necessarily indwelt by the Holy Spirit. And, um, and now the argument about this issue really comes down to like several New Testament passages, basically all of them found in the Gospel of John. And, um, you know, there's no place in Scripture that explicitly says Old Testament believers were not indwelt by the Holy Spirit. So, okay, that's what, that's what makes this problem difficult, okay? So there's, there's nowhere in the Bible that says the Old Testament believers were not indwelt by the Holy Spirit. But we see in places in the Gospel of John that Jesus says, I will give you the Spirit, or I will send the Spirit. He says this at different places in the Gospels, but notably for our purposes in the Gospel of John. 
Um, and then there's this added problem of his. Um, the Spirit, well, you know, last week Brad talked about the Holy Spirit and salvation. And when you think about the Holy Spirit's work in regenerating us, or the Holy Spirit's work in our conversion, uh, we recognize that, you know, as the Bible teaches that we are dead in our sins, uh, apart from God regenerating us and causing us to be born again. So, you know, there's the problem is like, well, well, how did the Holy Spirit, you know, make the, or how do these people become true believers if the Holy Spirit wasn't working in their lives? Okay, so those are just like two of the issues that kind of go along with this. So both sides, there's, there's some difficulties with this. There's nothing that's not really clear cut. And that's why there's like really able uh, scholars on both sides of the issue because it's, there's, there's no clear cut answer to this uh, as there is to like, you know, how, how does a man uh, enter to the kingdom of heaven? You know, there's like where it's like you, you repent of your sins and trust in Jesus Christ who died on the cross for you and three days later rose from the grave. Uh, so it's not clear like that. And so that's why there's disagreement. But, so I think I'll spend the next five minutes, like, kind of talking about these issues. And then um, maybe we, we can do questions. Do y'all, do y'all want to do questions tonight? Do you think ten minutes of questions would suffice? Or, or, or okay, so we'll, we'll do that. So in five minutes or four minutes now, I will end. And then, uh, and then we can do questions, okay? Um, so we're about halfway through. Oh, man. So, I'm sorry. But here, here we go. Um, so the first passage is John chapter 7, uh, verse 39. So I think they'll, they'll put it on the screen. Well, I can read it uh, while they're pulling it up. It says this, John chapter 7, verse 39. Now he said this. So this is uh, at the, the, the Feast of Tabernacles. Um, and Jesus says this, uh, now this he said about the Spirit, whom those who, had, who believed in him were to receive, for as yet the Spirit had not been given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. So John here seems to be saying that, that there are people who are believing in Jesus at this time, but they don't have the Holy Spirit. Okay, so there's people before the, the glorification of Jesus, and in the Gospel of John, Jesus' glorification is his death. You know, so he says, like, you know, like, when Jesus talks about his glorification in John, he talks about being lifted up. It's like him being lifted up on the cross to die. And that's amazing. You know, Jesus' humiliation is really his exaltation. It's, it's, it's amazing. But so he said the spirit hadn't yet been given because Jesus hadn't been glorified. Okay. So, you know, because of that, you know, there's, there seems to be this a, a pretty clear teaching that, that prior to Jesus' death on the cross, the Holy Spirit wasn't given to all believers. That from what we've seen so far in our study, that the Holy Spirit was given to select believers. It was given to only a few people. And, you know, it was given to the 70 elders. It was given to Moses. Uh, it seemed to be in Joseph, in Daniel, uh, Joshua. Uh, it was on Saul for a time. It was on the prophets. And um, it was on David. So that's not uh, many people. I mean, we can count all those. And if we combine all of our hands, we can combine, combine and count them. So I think we only need 10 people if we use our toes as well. So like, you know, 10 people, there's our 10 and uh, so, uh, so we, we don't need many people to count. There's like a hundred people or something like that. And so, uh, the next passage is John chapter 14, uh, verses 16 through 17. And it's this, uh, uh, let's see here. It says this, uh, and I will ask the father and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. And so there's this, uh, people, are, they really debate on this, uh, this, this last uh, part of verse 
17 will be in you. So you'll see number three. There, you should see a footnote or a superscript three. And it says some manuscripts and is. Okay, so the debate is this. Should it be the Spirit uh, is with you or the Spirit will be with you? Okay, so that's, you know, it's a pretty big difference there. And, um, and so that's what these people, uh, like, that's like, that's a source of, uh, of contention there. But, you know, you see like in, in the top, you know, most manuscripts seem to say that like, he will be uh, with you. Okay, so, or will be in you. So um, it's a future, it's a future tense. Like, like, you know, the Spirit is not currently with them, but it will be with them. And notice it says in rather than with. So, you know, uh, you know, in the Old Testament, God tended to be with his people. But now in the New Testament, it says that the Spirit um, is, is in God's people. So God is in us now rather than with us. Okay, and so there seems to be this, this distinction that is, has happened. Um, and then um, there are a lot of, of verses. Uh, let's move to the Old, the Old Testament now. And there are a lot of verses in the Old Testament that talk about the New Covenant. And the New Covenant is, um, you know, mentioned in the book of Isaiah. Um, we see it mentioned in Jeremiah and Ezekiel and Joel and Zechariah. And, um, you know, Brad, you remember last week Brad mentioned Ezekiel 36, where, you know, uh, Ezekiel 36, 25, it says, like, you know, I will sprinkle you with clean water, and he will you know, take out our heart of stone and give us a, a heart of flesh that will obey God. Uh, and so, like, that language uh, in Ezekiel 36, there's similar language in Ezekiel 11, and then also uh, in Ezekiel 39. Um, and then uh, in, in Joel chapter 2, um, where it talks about uh, the Holy Spirit being poured out on all flesh, on, um, you know, the men and female and the, the servants. Um, it's the, the language that, you know, Peter uh, quoted at Pentecost in Acts chapter 2. Um, you know, these seem to, beli- uh, you know, indicate that there is coming a time when the Holy Spirit will be uh, present uh, in God's people in a way that formerly he was not, okay? So that uh, it seems to be what those, those uh, texts indicate in the Old Testament, that prior to this point, the Holy Spirit was active. Of course, we see that the Holy Spirit was active in creation. We see that the Holy Spirit was active in instructing and warning God's people. But the Holy Spirit uh, didn't dwell in God's people at this point. He dwelt in the midst of them in the temple. He dwelt in the midst of them in the tabernacle. But he didn't dwell in them. But we see this, uh, this, uh, this future hope that these prophets mention that the Holy Spirit will one day not dwell simply with them, but in them. And we see in the New Testament that God is said to dwell uh, in his people both corporately and individually. You know, so in First uh, Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19, it says that uh, your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. And that's wonderful. You know, that's, that's amazing. But then we also see places like, you know, Matthew uh, chapter 18, verse 20, where the Holy Spirit is, is said to, to dwell in the midst of God's people. Um, and then uh, I, I kind of outlined uh, God with man. I don't know if that's in your notes. Is it in your notes? Where there's a section that says God with man, then it goes all the way from the garden, the garden to uh, the new, new uh, heavens and the new earth. Do y'all see that in your notes? Okay, good. So uh, there is kind of like a, an overview of God's dwelling with man in the Bible. So it begins with in the garden where God dwelt with him. And there's this professor, uh, uh, Greg Bill, who teaches at Westminster Seminary in uh, Philadelphia. And he's done a lot of interesting work on the temple. And he, he, he argues that the Garden of Eden was, um, you know, this uh, temple. It was a temple to God. And it's amazing. He gives a lot of different evidence. But I, he, he has like 10 arguments for it. But I'll give you like a couple really quick because I know we're running short on time. Because it's amazing to kind of see that, um, you know, Adam was like this, uh, you know, priest king ruling over, uh, you know, God's, uh, God's uh, temple. And it says that, you know, it's like in the garden, like the temple, 
uh, there, there was a place that God revealed himself in a, a unique way. So we see this in like Genesis chapter 3, verse 8. And obviously in the temple, God's presence was there in a very powerful way. So it was so powerful that, you know, you couldn't just walk into the Holy of Holies un- unless you wanted to die. You know, uh, and, and so uh, there, you, you just couldn't uh, go in there. Uh, in Genesis chapter 2, verse 15, um, you know, God commands Adam to, to work and to keep the garden. So uh, these two Hebrew uh, uh, verbs, avad and uh, shamar, are used also in, uh, in terms of the, priest, the priestly responsibilities in, in the temple. So those two uh, Hebrew verbs uh, are used in Genesis chapter 2, verse 15, and they're also used in the, in the temple and in, in the work that the priests are supposed to do there. So that's, that's, pretty, that's another argument. The tree of life, which was in the garden, uh, is the basis for the, the menorah in the temple. So that's another piece of evidence. And then also, the entrance to the temple was to the east. The entrance to the temple uh, in the new heavens and the new earth uh, is, is to the east. And the entrance to the garden uh, was to the east. So, you know, there's, and there's more, even more arguments he gives. Like, it's, it seems like God um, uh, has instituted the, the garden to be a, 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 a temple. And you remember that God commanded them to be fruitful and to multiply too. And you remember that, that humans are image bearers of God. And so as they, as they multiply, as they spread across uh, the, the, the earth, there God's glory is, is, spreading, is spreading and filling the, the, the temple of the, the world. And so, um, so unfortunately, I can't go into more detail with that, but th- that's that. So if you'll, we have about five or six minutes of questions. And so if you have any questions, I'd be happy to answer them if I can. Or if I can't, I'll defer to Will or to Teddy or Josh or Springer or anyone. No. Oh, hey, Paul. <laughs> yeah, yeah, brother. Okay, perfect. Yeah, well, we can wait. Oh, okay, Professor. Um, thank you, first off, for just uh, sharing your knowledge and wisdom with us on this topic. Throughout a couple places in the New Testament, um, We're told that after regeneration, the Holy Spirit is, this language is used in two or three different places, a seal as kind of a guarantee of our inheritance. So particularly in in Ephesians chapter 1, in him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. So I've got kind of like two parts to the question. And it's more of a request than a question. I guess, first off, I've sort of always read that as kind of uh, one of the Holy Spirit's roles being one of assurance to the believer. But I'd love to hear you kind of like exegete or just sort of explain what your thoughts are on this this um, role of the Holy Spirit in the New Testament as being like a seal, as a guarantee of our salvation uh, and of our future uh, inheritance and grace. Yeah, yeah. so... Uh, you know, Paul uses that language there in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13. I believe he also uses it in chapter 4, verse 28 uh, as well. So let's turn there and see. Let's make sure I'm not making that up. But I do, I do think he uses it in chapter 4 as well. And then I think there's also similar language in the book of uh, 2 Corinthians. So let me turn there. Uh, Ephesians chapter 4, uh, verse um, uh, 28. Uh, the thief no longer still. And, and, and it's verse 30, I'm sorry. So it says this, And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. So this idea of sealing, I think, um, and then the way Paul uses it there in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13, is that you know all people, uh, when they uh, repent of their sins and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ for their salvation, are sealed with the Holy Spirit. And, um, 
And what that means is this, is that, you know, God has um, uh, set his love on them and uh, now abides in them and dwells in them. And, uh, and because of that, it's just uh, the foretaste of what will one day uh, be consummated uh, when we die and, and move to God's presence forever, uh, to, to dwell with him forever in, in, in person, face-to-face, as it says in uh, Revelation 22. So I think it's just um, the way uh, of saying that you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed in him uh, and, and believed in the Lord Jesus, and that uh, because of that, uh, you know, he will keep you until the end. He will cause you to persevere. It's, um, you know, it's like the, the first fruits, I guess you can say. Um, uh, is a language that's used in other places of the New Testament. So, uh, like this, th- th- that the fact that you received the Holy Spirit uh, and were sealed and marked off for for God for salvation uh, is uh, evidence that He will cause you to persevere until the end. So, and this is a, a, a beautiful because we see that this is a, a distinct way that the Holy Spirit worked in the New Testament compared to the Old Testament. Because you recall, like in First uh, Samuel uh, uh, sixteen, where the Holy Spirit uh, departed from Saul. Because of his, dis- his disobedience. Now, it says that we can grieve the Holy Spirit, but it doesn't say that the Holy Spirit will depart from us. You know, it doesn't say that the Holy Spirit will abandon us and leave us. Um, because if you are truly trusted in Christ, the Holy Spirit will cause you to persevere uh, to the very end. You know, that's amazing. So, so do you see that as a, like experiential in a way, like, a, like aside from, you know, I think of like the fruits of the Spirit and the works of sanctification. Do you, do you see that as something like that, that, a, that a believer... Uh, I hate to use charismatic language, but feels um, yeah. that they're sealed with the Holy Spirit. Yeah, so... Uh, I was kidding about the... No, that's okay. So there's like two components. I think it's pr- primarily ob- objective. I think it's uh, objective that God seals you for salvation. And you could be a believer who struggles to, uh, you know, to have a, a strong assurance of salvation. Uh, because, but if you're trusting in Christ, that you are legitimately saved. You are saved as... Uh, you know, this figure, Greatheart, uh, as, uh, you know, that in, in Bunyan's Pilgrim's Progress, this man who, who um, had, you know, a, a wonderful salvation. So it, the thing is, like, both the, the strongest Christian and the weakest Christian are both sealed uh, by the Holy Spirit for salvation. But, you know, uh, you know, Paul in Ephesians chapter 1 and Ephesians chapter 3 prays these prayers that the Christians would know God in a more deep and a more intimate way. And there is this experiential language that is uh, being used there. Paul is praying for them not simply to, to know doctrine, not simply to, for them to, to know uh, their Bible in a, in a head knowledge type of way, but to take those truths, to meditate on those truths, and to have them soak uh, into your, your, your soul, and so that you are so satisfied with God. You enjoy God. You uh, worship God. Uh, and so, like, you know, you mentioned the fruit of the Spirit. You know, one of the fruits of the Spirit is, is joy or peace, you know. And so, like, those are things that the Holy Spirit works in us as we are, are satisfied in Him. So I would say that the, the sealing of the Holy Spirit is uh, objective in nature, but there is certainly a subjective component to our salvation uh, as we uh, experience intimacy with God um, and assurance of salvation. Yeah, of course, brother. Yeah. Yes. Um, so how would we, uh, you see God being glorified when we exercise our gifts in the Holy, in the Holy Spirit? So how could we, um, I guess as a church or individually, seek out our gifts, not for like, oh, look at me, look at how, what I did, but just um, to to glorify Christ and to um, just bring the Holy Spirit with the gospel, just bring yeah, the two together. Um. Of course, yeah, that's a, that's a good question. And so uh, there's two things I'll say. The first thing I'll say is this, that, um, you know, like the, you know, the whole, you know, you said, talk about bringing the Holy Spirit and the gospel together. And you, know, you remember one of the points was that the Holy Spirit is the author of scripture. 
And so you can't, uh, you know, make a disjunction between the, the, the Scripture and the Spirit. The Spirit always works through uh, the Scripture. And in terms of, like, how we can use our spiritual gifts for God's glory, you know, before I came up here, I was praying First uh, uh, Peter chapter 4 and uh, in verse 10. We'll turn there because it addresses your issue uh, perfectly. And, um, and here's what Peter says is this. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies, in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. So all Christians have received a spiritual gift. And, and uh, you know, Paul mentions different spiritual gifts in uh, Romans, I think, 12, and then also in First uh, Corinthians uh, uh, you know, 12 to 14. There's different gifts that, that are mentioned in there as well. And... Um, but we, God has given us these gifts not for our own benefit, because you remember the Christ, the Corinthians were rebuked by Paul because you know they just wanted to to use their gifts for their own glory. You know, so there are certain brothers who were uh, just really enjoying speaking in tongues and saying things that nobody could really understand, but they they were enjoying that. And Paul it rebuked them. He said, No, 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 no. God has given you this gift not for your own glorification, so you can have this platform and and be admired by everyone because of your spirituality. No, no. God has given you these gifts uh, for the edification of the church. God has given you these gifts so that you can build up your brothers and sisters in the faith so that they would uh, uh, love Christ uh, more. And in, in John chapter 13, verse 35, Jesus says, you know, by this uh, will the world know, uh, uh, know that you uh, know me, like when they see your love for one another. And, you know, so, so there's even also like not only is that the church uh, being built up by this love that we have one another when we use our spiritual gifts, but there's also this evangelistic uh, aspect to it as well. That as the, the world sees the way that we interact, interact with one another and, and use our gifts for building up one another and serving one another, that they will see that there's something distinct and unusual about Christ. They'll see his glory in a way that uh, they wouldn't otherwise if we were not using our gifts. And so like this is, you know, has a really strong application for the importance of uh, membership in a local church, not simply uh, uh, you know, nominal membership where you, like, you're a member and you don't know anyone or are not known by anyone, but meaningful membership where you are a member and you are serving uh, the, the church in various capacities um, and, and building up the church because there are certain people who have the gift of mercy or there are certain people who have the, the gift of teaching or there are certain people who have the gifts of, of, of hospitality. And, and, and like the church is, is built up and, uh, in a way that it wouldn't be if the, those people weren't using their gifts. I think, oh, did that answer your question? If I didn't, like, no, um, sorry, I guess there's just like, um, I think of, um, when, when Jesus came on to live on the earth, people, a lot of people had a hard time believing, like, how can this man be a God? Like he says he's God. Um, and then um, just a lot of people had a hard time believing even the miracles, but even when they saw them, they just didn't, um, it was just a big concept for them to grasp. And then so Jesus, he died, rose again, went to heaven, and he said, I have sent you a helper. So I guess I guess, um, not being afraid of the, what the Holy Spirit can do um, and just I see us um, maybe tr- just, I'm just going to say, treating the Holy Spirit kind of the way we tr- they treated Jesus, like we don't, um, it's hard for us to um, grab the concept that the Holy Spirit wants to use us, not just in a, you know, come to church every day, but like in a radical, um, miraculous way to bring people to his 
glory or for his glory. So I guess seeing it on another level, I just want to take it up. So like, how do we do that without in a gracious way as we're learning to use our gifts, um, having like that safety net? Um, yeah, I guess that's um, well, I want to say one thing and then maybe defer to Will. <laughs> I was going to say, I think, you know, maybe uh, one of the main ways that the Holy Spirit works is in a very ordinary way. Uh, but it's un- it's it's extraordinary, but um, it's not flashy or glamorous, but he causes us to be conformed more and more to the image of Christ, which is a supernatural and very powerful work. Um, and uh, and that is one way that we can, um, you know, really serve others that way and, and be a light to others. And, 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 that, and, and being conformed more to the image of Christ is more miraculous in many ways than, uh, than you know, some, some other things, you know. And so, uh, oh, no, those are my thoughts on it, and I, I'm sorry they're not very refined or developed, but you know, perhaps we'll be able to answer you more adequately. Yeah, I, I don't know that I'd add a whole lot of refined or development to it. I, I will say this. I know that Brad specifically is going to be teaching on that in a couple of weeks, way more than Logan or I could handle in a very short Q&A. But what I will say is this. Um, what we do read in the New Testament is a constant encouragement to grow in the giftedness that the Holy Spirit gives. In other words, it it is never as though we feel like, well, I have the gift of X, therefore I have plateaued at the gift of X, and I will now settle in my Christian easy chair as somebody has the gift of hospitality um, or the gift of evangelism, which is both a gift and a command. Um, But and and this is what always comes to mind when I think about that. On one hand, I think all of us would want God to do miraculous things through us, not for our own benefit, though it would encourage our faith, but we, we just want the world to believe in Jesus. And, and the thought is, if all of a sudden, you know, the roof peeled back and, and a light shone down, who could deny it? Who could deny it? And yet, we, we read so many times in the scripture that if they're not listening to the prophets, give me the, give me the scripture, Logan. If they, if, they, if, if they're not listening to the prophets, if they're not then they will not even respond if somebody were to rise from the dead. Come on. Yeah, yeah it's like in, in Luke, uh, was there it 16 it or something? Like there we where, go. Again, Lazarus. Um, but then I, I also think about this. So I think sometimes we want something for other people because we think it would be effectual to us that may not actually be effectual to them. But then I, I'll also add this. I, I've heard John Piper say this numerous times. He constantly has been praying, I think since he was a teenager, to have the gift of speaking in tongues. And, and not to be controversial here as to whether that is or is not operative, that, that's not my point. But my point is, I, I, don't, I don't think we ever get to the point of, of kind of hitting that plateau. I, I think that whatever it is that we have a desire that God would grow us in, that we pray toward that. And, and we never stop praying that God would make us better expositors of his truth, that he would make us um, more... Uh, driven towards hospitality, that, that, that we would be given all sorts of other gifts for his glory, for our joy, and for the benefit of other people coming to the kingdom. And so I would say if we have this desire for a gift on one hand, we say, God, you're sovereign, either you're going to give it or you're not. But I also know that you have commanded me to pray. And so I am going to pray, and I'm going to continue to pray, and I'm going to continue to be diligent. And if I don't get what I wanted, hey, we'll talk about it. You know, I, I mean, I'm going to spend eternity with you, and a lot of the things that don't make a whole lot of sense right now are going to be very, very plain, James says. And so I, I would, I mean, my encouragement is pray. Pray, 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 and ask that God would, would give you those things out of a good and a pure heart for the good of those around you. Yeah. Um, it's 7.38, so just for the sake of time, we'll, I'll close in prayer, and then we, we'll conclude for the evening. Um, 
Father, uh, we thank you so much for the gift of your son, uh, the Lord Jesus Christ, who came to earth and lived the life that uh, we should have lived and, and died the death that we deserve to die. And we praise you that he did not remain dead, but he rose again on the third day and is ascended into heaven and is at your right hand. Um, and we wait for him to return. And we pray that you would um, help us to live in light of his return. We pray that we would count this life uh, in our lives as, as lost just for the sake of serving you and fulfilling the ministry that you have given us to fulfill. We thank you so much for the gift of the Holy Spirit, the, the Spirit who uh, abides in us and who is the seal of our salvation until we uh, uh, obtain it, until uh, that day we pray that we would just have great confidence uh, in you. And we pray that you would continue your work in our lives, making us more like uh, the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you for my brothers and sisters here tonight. I pray that uh, they would love you more and treasure you more. And I ask all this in Christ's name. Amen.